Hello and welcome to episode 22 of my podcast. Thank you again for joining me. On this episode, our modern day household name, rock and roll band, made the first ever recordings in my attic towards the end of the 90s and ended up getting uh, the major label record deal, which put them in the uh, on the path to success. They're not exactly a rock and roll band, but they're a big band. I'll tell you the story about our minor misdemeanor by a bunch of young golden lads in the 1950s inspired a similar misdemeanor by a bunch of young golden lads 30 years later on the occasion when several ley lines came together and created perhaps the most perfect and very personal musical moment of all time for myself and my wife Charlie. I'll talk about an Inspiral Carpet song that I wrote in 1993 called Uniform and what inspired that and I'll also talk about something uh, that's been going on in the Boone household recently uh, like I do towards the end of every episode and this week the obscene phantom messages which keep mysteriously appearing in my diary. The unsigned band that you're going to get to here at the end of this episode are a Detroit-based band called Siamese, who were brilliant. And as with every episode of Storytime, I've put together a Spotify playlist with full versions of the tracks that you're going to hear throughout the podcast and uh, several other tracks as well. My other podcast, which is for unsigned and upcoming music, is uh, also available as a free download. It's called Set To Go, with the number two, Set To Go. Follow that on Twitter, at CB Set To Go, and subscribe on iTunes now. Send me your new music, and if I like it, I'll try and get it out there for you. As with every episode of Storytime with Boone, this podcast is brought to you with the help of my good friends at Distorted Productions. Okay, let's do it. Storytime with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes. When the Inspiral Carpets decided to go on a hiatus in the spring of 1995, I set about working on several other projects which included uh, writing the songs which should provide the, the basis for the Clint Boone experience. And also around that time, I was helping a local band from Oldham, they were called Mantra Luna, they were brilliant, and I was helping them to get noticed, I was doing quite a lot of recording for them and uh, helping them to get gigs sorted out and all that. And sometime around 97, maybe 98, I got a call from a, a bloke called Phil Chadwick from the Bury area. And I'd met Phil several years earlier when the Inspirals were recording at the Square One recording studios in Bury. Phil had been the, the tea boy there. Now, back then, being a tea boy meant not just making tea, but you'd have to do a lot of other menial tasks as well. So things like writing down all the settings on the mixing desk when the recording session was finished. That, that could take an hour, that. A lot of knobs to make a note of. Things like sticking a new VHS videotape into the video player in the lounge when the band couldn't be asked getting up and doing it. That was part of the T-Boy's job. Going to the shop whenever the band got munches and laughing at all the band's shit jokes, even though you didn't think they were funny. It was all, it was all under the remit of being a T-Boy, you know what I mean? Anyway, so Phil phoned me up and he, he said he was now managing a band and I said, what they call? He said, they're called Elbow. And I said, that's a funny name. I remember saying, that's a funny name. That. I said, are they any good? He said, they're all right. He said, they used to be called Soft, but they've changed the name. Anyway, he says, I was wondering if this band, Elbow, could do any gigs with you, either with Mantra Luna, who you're looking after, or with your new band, the Clint Moon Experience. And I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, So we started hanging out a bit, me and Phil and the Elbow lads. Did a few gigs together. Me and Phil became really good friends, and he eventually came and lived with me for about six months. That's another story, that. That's another, another story, more about me and Phil Chadwick's um, men behaving badly period in another episode, yeah. And back then, if a record company showed even the slightest bit of interest in your band, you could usually squeeze out a bit of money from them, demo money, as they used to call it. And that could be anything between a few hundred quid and a few grand, you know what I mean? It could be a lot of money. And usually with no obligation whatsoever to sign the record deal with the label that threw the money at you. You could, you know, quite, you could be quite unscrupulous about it. And anyway, so Phil came back to ours one night from London 
and he said that one of the labels, I think it was Chrysalis Records, had slipped him 750 quid to record a couple of tracks by elbow so that they could hear how the band sounded on tape and maybe think about doing a deal or whatever. So I said to Phil, rather than using the money for a couple of days in a, a local studio, why don't you keep the money for Elbow, get yourself something nice, and I'll record a couple of tunes in my me, me home studio, because I had a, little, a decent little studio set up in my loft. This one I lived in Milnrow, Rochdale, and I'd recorded loads of Clint Boone Experience tracks up there and all these uh, theme tunes I've talked about in previous episodes. And because my loft studio was too small to get drums up there, we all went down to the Roadhouse venue in Manchester one afternoon and recorded the drums straight onto the multi-track machines. And most of the Elbow lads actually worked in some capacity at the Roadhouse at this time, so we had total access to it. So I went down there, got set up, recorded the backing tracks, drums and bass, as far as I can remember, two, uh, two songs. And then we packed everything up, went back to ours, climbed up the ladder, plugged everything back in and carried on. And I'll never forget standing next to the relatively unknown Guy Garvey in my little studio while he belted out these, these songs into the microphone. One was called Any Day Now and the other was uh, Newborn. And as usual, because the loft got really hot, if you had more than one person up there, we had the windows wide open. And can you imagine hearing the sound of Guy Garvey singing the, like the closing section of Newborn? Because it sounded exactly the same back then. That sound emanating from within the roof of a small house in a little working class town in the north of England, sometime in early 1998, I'm guessing. Can you imagine hearing that sound? We finished the recording, mixed the tracks, and off Phil went to London. Played the tracks to a, an A&R man from one of the major labels, from a different label than the one that gave us the money. And they immediately said, we're going to sign them. We want them to sign to us. So the Elbow signed the first major record deal on the strength of those two songs that were done in my attic. And partly by way of celebration, but also as a way of cracking on with creating that first album that they needed to do, Elbow decided to decamp to a quiet little village in France to get on with the writing and demoing recording of this debut album of theirs. So I, I had a big Mercedes-Benz splitter bus from a place in Sheffield and I, I drove the band and Phil, the manager, out to France. And subsequently, that label that they signed to end up going through some changes, Elbow found themselves out of a deal for a little while before they got snapped up by V2 Records and the rest is history. And I don't mind admitting now that as I stood there next to Guy that, that evening with the veins in his neck standing out as he bellowed out these amazing vocals, I don't mind admitting that I, I did not know where this was going to go because even though... I knew that I loved the band. I knew that the families and friends of the band loved the band, but I don't think any of us knew for one minute what was coming next, what the potential was. We all believed in it, but we couldn't see what was going to happen because nobody in the country at that time was making this kind of music. And sometimes that makes something much harder to sell, doesn't it? There was no scene which this sound could be slotted into. And bands hadn't used this approach to music making for decades, really. So maybe... Talk, talk back in the 80s had elements of it and Pink Floyd and Genesis in the 1970s but progressive music quite simply was not in demand in 1998 in the UK Britpop was still a big deal what did happen I believe is that people's standards gradually changed the music consumers of the UK started to want something a bit more substantial you know maybe as a reaction against the Oasis and Britpop stuff that was going on People wanted something a bit more cerebral, if you like. They started to want more substance in the music that they were buying and listening to. And Elbow found themselves perfectly poised to become that band that everybody needed, but no one actually knew they needed it yet, if you know what I'm saying. And eventually the album came out and it was nominated for a Brit Award and a Mercury Music Prize. And Elbow went on to become one of the most successful and enduring British bands of all time, it's fair to say. 
And as people, they've never changed. They're still the same lovely, cuddly, down-to-earth, funny blokes from Bury. I used to always greet them by licking the faces, particular guy and Pete. I've stopped doing that. I've stopped licking the faces in recent years because partly because they started getting a bit beardy and the whiskers got thicker and that. But also, I think they found it a bit weird. But let's hear it for Elbow. Long may they serenade us with that majestic music of theirs. I've often said that, to me, the composer, Philip Glass, has been the, the biggest influence on me as a musician and as a, as a music listener. To me, is up there with Elvis. And I remember where I was the first time I heard the music of Philip Glass. I was by a swimming pool in Hollywood. That sounds a bit posh, doesn't it? Um, it was our first proper tour of the USA, me and the Inspiral Carpets. And our close friend, a merchandise man, Liam Walsh, was lay by the pool on a, a sun lounger with a small CD or cassette machine, I can't remember which. But the music coming out of it immediately caught my attention and I asked him what it was and who it was by and it turned out to be a track by Philip Glass, which uh, featured vocals by Linda Ronstadt. The track was called Freezing. It was on some sort of compilation album that Liam had picked up on his travels. And I found out it was from a, a Philip Glass album called Songs from Liquid Days and from that moment, right until the present moment, I've been smitten with the music of Philip Glass and I set about buying up every single piece of music that he's ever made and it's fair to say he's been incredibly prolific in the 60 years or so since he started composing music. And as an artist, no other musician has given me as much diversity and melody and emotion within his work. I mean, I love Elvis and would have sacrificed body parts to have met him, but he was a rock and roll singer. He was the greatest rock and roll singer. I love Mark Smith out of the fall but he's a punk rock poet with a huge intellect and a massive tendency to alienate people. To me, there's there's no limits to the dimensions within which Philip Glass can excel as a musician and a composer. His operas are some of the greatest pieces of music ever written. And his solo piano music is the most moving sound that I ever heard, and it's one of the first sounds that my children ever heard at birth. Whenever I get asked which artists inspire me the most, it's always Philip Glass and Elvis and usually R.E.M. as well. There's an instrumental track that I recorded back in 1999 with the Columbian Experience. Uh, it's called Philip Glass Astronaut. It's the B-side of a single called White No Sugar. And it's just a very simplistic keyboard piece. I can't play in any other way, actually. It's all simplistic, isn't it? <laughs> but it's basically me playing in the style of one of Glass's organ tracks. And I was in the process of writing a new song uh, when the track came about. And for some time... I'd had the title Philip Glass Astronaut in my head, so that piece of music was inspired by Philip Glass's style. Basically, what I'm saying, in my world, Philip Glass is a big deal, right? Everybody who knows me knows that. My second solo album was called Life in Transition, and it was named that because on the wall in front of my mixing desk, where I made all my music um, in my studio and my attic, I hung a, a framed newspaper front cover from a California paper, and it had a big picture of Philip Glass on the front. And underneath it, underneath his face, in big letters, the words, life in transition. And I've never met him yet. I've never met Philip Glass. The one time that I went to see him play live was at the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester with my mate Oxy. 
from uh, episode 19, the chap who helped me to get home from Barcelona when I was stranded. And that gig there at the Bridgewater Hall, it was all a bit world music for me. I didn't really get it and I nodded off. <laughs> I fell asleep and woke up partway through the concert gagging for a kebab. So me and Oxy, we got off and mooched off around the corner to uh, Jan Ams on Portland Street and got Dirty Donna. And I even emailed Philip Glass's tour manager that day to see if I could set up a meeting with him, but nothing came of that. So I didn't feel quite that bad about nipping off for a donner, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I said I wasn't really sure But I would Anyway, time ticks by and my love for Philip Glass grows and grows over the years. And in 2012, myself and my wife, Charlie, tragically lost our baby girl, Luna Bliss. She was aged just 34 days old. And obviously, we were devastated. The entire family was devastated. And at times, that words can provide great comfort. They can't change what's happened, but words can help. Whether it's someone gently telling you that, you know, you're not alone, we've gone through the same thing or whether it's a thousand people on Twitter, tens of thousands of people on Twitter sending the thoughts and the love words can and do help to ease some of the pain, don't they? Our very good friend, Mike Gary, who's a brilliant poet, he wrote a beautiful poem for Luna called Live Forever, and he read it at a funeral, and it did help us, it helped us a lot, and it gives us a smile when we needed it. It made us all feel loved, like well-chosen words can do. And in time, and completely with our blessing, Mike started performing Live Forever, as part of his live set, sometimes on his own, sometimes with an handful of musicians. And in March of 2014, I got a message from Mike saying he was working in New York at a big event, raising funds and awareness for the uh, the people of Tibet. And also on the bill, New Order, Iggy Pop, Patti Smith and Philip Glass. And I was totally made up for him. I was thinking somebody that I know working on the same stage as Philip Glass. And he got to meet him and he said, Philip Glass is just this lovely bloke. And if the story ended there, right, It'd be one of my favourite stories ever. It'd be like knowing somebody who'd hung out with Elvis, you know what I mean, in my book, you know what I mean? But then, two months later, 11th of May 2014, I'm at home in Stockport, Sunday afternoon, and I get a text from Mike's partner at the time, Amanda, saying, in Amsterdam, Mike's just sound-checking with Philip Glass. And I texted back saying, you're joking, he's actually playing with him. And she says, yeah, great, isn't it? She said, I'll update you in a bit. And I'm thinking, Mike Gary and Philip Glass doing something together. And I'm a bit in shock at this point. My mate Mike doing a gig with my all-time musical hero, Philip Glass. The venue was a, an arts bar, like a cafe called uh, Five and 33. And I'm thinking, this is fucking better than Elvis is. About an hour later, my phone goes off again. Another text from Amanda. Mike doing Live Forever for Luna Bliss right now with Philip Glass on the piano. Philip Glass playing the piano for my baby girl while Mike Gary, face to the sky, arms held high, with those beautiful words which mean so much to me and my wife and family. Luna Bliss will live forever. 
And someone captured it on film. It's on YouTube. If you do a search, Philip Glass, live at 5 and 33. It is one of the most special things that I've ever seen. Thank you, Mike Gary, for making that happen. Lots of love to you. And Philip Glass, what a legend you are, mate. Unfill carpets from open gates. condoning bunches of lads having an expensive meal and then doing a runner from the restaurant but there's an element of that to this story that I'm going to talk about in fact that's what this story is about so one evening in the late 1950s a bunch of very smartly dressed young men from Shaw near Oldham enter a restaurant on the outskirts of the town and sit down to a, a lavish meal. The restaurant's on the road connecting the village of Shaw, a little mill town, to the main Huddersfield Road, which goes over the Pennines. And the men are all mill workers working in the local cotton mills. The restaurant is called The Black Lad, and it's also a pub, and it still stands there all these years later. I'm guessing it's probably a 45-minute walk thereabouts from Shaw, up a very steep hill, Grange Road, you go past Dog Hill and then you go up onto Buckstones Road and the black lad sits there proudly on the left, looking out over several square miles of farmland and wilderness towards Shaw and Oldham in the distance. It's right where the Pennines start. Towards the end of the meal, some members of the party become a little bit disgruntled for whatever reason and they decide when the bill arrives that they don't fancy sticking around to pay for it. So a couple of the blokes get up casually walk towards the gents' toilets and they don't come back. And then another one does the same. And then another one. 
and so on, until there's just one man sat remaining at the table with a massive food and drinks bill in front of him on the table. And his name's Cyril. He's a local lad. He works very hard for a living, uh, lugging baskets of cotton around the lilac mill in Shaw. Cyril will eventually want to father three children, the eldest of which you're listening to right now telling this story. Cyril was my dad. <laughs> this is in the late 50s. When it dawned on him that his mates had done a runner, or whatever they used to call it back in the late 50s, he realised he had to get out of there. There was absolutely no way that a mill worker like him carried enough money to pay for such a huge bill. And this was well before the age of credit cards and internet banking, obviously. There was no way that young Cyril wanted to be the one to get caught. Or worse still, he didn't want to surrender and have to grass all, all his mates up, who by now, he figured, were halfway down Buckstone's Road, hurtling towards the darkness and relative safety of their homes in shore. So nervously, he slipped his jacket on, puts his cigarettes in his pocket, stands up and started to stroll towards the toilets. And then after a few steps... He turned and made a beeline for the door to leg it to get out of there. And as he did so, a quick-minded member of staff, probably the manager, my dad reckoned, grabbed him and started shouting for help. And dad was firmly in this guy's grip. He had both his hands on him. And the manager got all excited and started shouting orders to the staff, like, right, you come and hold on to this bugger. You get the wallet out of his pocket. You phone the police station, tell them to send a constable up. And with all the pointing that was going on, arms flailing everywhere and all that, dad sees this split-second moment where the manager took both both hands off him momentarily and my dad broke away and he shot through the doorway over the road jumped over a wall into a field below and raced down the hill in total darkness ran through fences and bracken and the mud and cow shit in the direction of shore vaulting over dry stone walls like a true athlete he made it home in no more than three minutes he reckons it took him nearly an hour to walk up there and he admitted to us later on in life when he told us a story of how he was absolutely shitting himself because he'd, he'd never done anything illegal in his life before this and he just didn't want to get caught, you know what I mean? He, he, he hadn't instigated this crime either. It was his mates that started it. He just, you know, was the last one. He just legged it because he was the last one in the room. And to give you an idea of the type of terrain up there, it's uh, the part of the world up there. It's quite popular with fell runners. Right? And, and Dad wasn't a fell runner. He was a great goalie. He used to play in the uh, in the goals for the Lilac Mills football team for several years, but he was no fell runner, although he did fall a few times on the way down and he bumped into a couple of uh, telegraph poles as well. And as always, he would have been dead smart. He would have been wearing probably his winkle picker shoes and a smart suit, white, white shirt, tie. His hair would have been all slicked back in typical 1950s DA style with brill cream. He wore brill cream most of his life. I can still, every time I smell brill cream, it's a smell that'll always remind me of my dad. Anyway, Cyril made it home, soiled, stinking, exhausted, scratched and sweaty, but quite elated that he'd, he'd succeeded. Him and his mates never got found out for it. And hopefully the, the people at the Black Lad have forgotten about it. <laughs> I mean, it's like 60 years ago or something, isn't it? Fast forward three decades, right? One evening in the early 1990s, a bunch of smartly dressed young men from Oldham, near Manchester, enter a restaurant in a, a side street in Paris and sit down to a lavish meal. The restaurant's on a, a very picturesque little street, just a few minutes walk up the hill from the hotel where the men are all staying at. And the men are all musicians uh, and with the crew doing gigs around Europe. The band's called In Spiral Carpets. Towards the end of the meal, some members of the party become a bit disgruntled for whatever reason and decide when the bill arrives that they don't fancy sticking around to pay for it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now, I'd recently told the band my bandmates, the story of my dad and his rebellious friends doing this runner from the Black Lad all those years ago. And I brought it up again that night in Paris 
towards the end of the meal. By now, under the influence of alcohol, obviously, I've suggested we might want to do the same. And I'm not condoning it, and I've never done it since. But I stood up, and I started walking towards the, the toilets. And then I shouted the words, my dad would be proud of me, and I legged it for the door. And I heard chairs moving behind me as the others got up. And another one of the bands shouted, he'd be proud of me too. And then somebody else goes, ah, for sure, for sure. They all, they all jumped on. Before I know it, I'm racing downhill at incredible speed through a labyrinth of tight Parisian back streets at the head of this, this gang of blokes from the north of England. All shouting, run, 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 like it. I turned a corner, I'm not kidding, I, I almost ran head on into a, a green mini that was coming the other way. The car did this emergency stop as a sidestep round it, just missed it by millimetres. And I can hear all the footsteps of the band all running behind me, all howling with laughter. And eventually I made it back to the hotel and I go to the reception desk, sweaty and exhausted and dishevelled. And I said to the receptionist guy, can I have my key, please? I'm in room such and such, whatever the number. And he goes, no. And I'm like, what? Sorry, I need my key. And he's going, no, no key. I'm like, well, look, mate, I'm, I'm staying here. Me and my mates, we're all staying here. Give us our keys. We need to clean up and get out again. But give us our keys. No, no, non clear. No clear, is it clear? French key in it, clear. No, no clear. And I'm like, anyway, so all lads are start, starting to kick off a bit behind me. Now. Give us our fucking keys, you know, like that. And then he says, we are waiting for the gendarmerie to arrive. I'm like, you what? You're doing what? He says, the gendarmerie, the la police, uh, <laughs> they're coming to see you. Next thing, the manager of the restaurant walks in behind us with our bill like that, wafting it, asking for his money. Stood there in reception with his hand out like that. And we're all a bit astonished, to be honest, as, as to how he caused, because there's no way that he could have followed us. We were legging it that fast. There's no way that anybody could have chased us. And as our tour manager started to settle the bill, the restaurant manager showed us the hotel's business card, so the, the hotel we're all staying at. We had one of them. And on the back of it was the name of the restaurant written in Byron and, and a, a map showing how to get to it. And on our way out that night, the concierge at the hotel had recommended that restaurant and written the name and address on the back of this, this hotel's business card. And one of us had left it on the table as we were eating. So the restaurant manager took the payment, we settled up and he told the police to back down, which was nice of him. And we were eventually given our keys back. No charges were made whatsoever. And as I said earlier, I'm not condoning that sort of behaviour and I never did a runner from a restaurant ever again. Nice one, Cyril. Keep on running Keep on hiding One fine day I'm gonna be the one To make you understand Oh yeah, I'm gonna be your man Keep on running On every episode of Storytime with Boone, I like to explain how a certain song that I've written over the years came into being. Sometimes it'll be an Inspiral Carpet song, sometimes a Clint Boone Experience track, and sometimes a, an oddity which might never have been heard in public before. The song I'm going to talk about on this episode is an Inspiral song from our fourth album, which came out in March 94. Developing was the album. The track is called Uniform, and it will be the last single that we released before our eight-year hiatus in uh, the spring of 95. Uniform started its life, believe it or not, in the summer of 1993 as I drove down Broadway in Chatterton 
part of Oldham. I was heading down towards Manchester. And there's a restaurant on Broadway. Today it's called Ancora. It used to be called the Red Barn. And it's in the car park there, incidentally, that a 14-year-old local had approached the Inspirals one Sunday afternoon in 1985. The Inspirals were about to perform at some kind of fete that they're having in the pub car park. And the drummer hadn't turned up. And at the time, I wasn't in the band. I was just driving them about and recording demo tapes for them and all that. And this kid introduced himself as Craig, as I said, 14-year-old. He said he lived around the corner and he could nip home, get his dad to bring him back with his drum kit. And by the time he got back, the event was over. The Inspirals didn't get to play that day, but we found the drummer that would get to provide the band's rhythms for the next 30-odd years or so. So on that day in 1993, as I drove towards the Red Barn, reminiscing like I always do about the day I first met Craig, the traffic came to a halt and I realised there'd been an accident right outside the pub on Broadway. There was ambulance men and police and they appeared to be dealing with an elderly man, it looked like, laying the road as a, a truck driver sat, head in his hands, crying on the pavement nearby. So you could tell it was a very serious accident that had happened. And if I remember correctly, the pedestrian crossing, which now stands on that spot, was put up soon after that accident, maybe as a result of that accident. Anyway, so still shocked and saddened by what I'd seen, I carried on my journey and the melody and the opening words of the song started coming to me as I carried on my trip into Manchester and the words, Father, it's time to leave, tears on my face and on your sleeve, it all started that, that afternoon. And that night as I sat at home working on some song ideas, I started to play with the melody and the words that had come to me earlier that day on Broadway and I decided that the song should be about a family being separated by war, keeping the sentiment of loved ones being taken away from each other. And I was keen that the song shouldn't mention the words like war, soldier, guns, bullets, death, but that the word uniform would be the only direct reference to war. Uniform as in the clothes and uniform as in the, you know, all in this together, off we go down the road sort of thing. And in my mind, the family in the song are the same family that we see in the Inspiral songs. This is how it feels and song for a family. If you listen to episode 14, I talk about that family in that episode. In verse one, the son, dressed in his brand new military uniform, says goodbye to his dad. In verse two, he says goodbye to his mum. And then in verse three, he addresses his sister, who it turns out to be also dressed in uniform, and she's off to war as well. I know it's a right cheery song, this, isn't it? But I'm telling you, you wanted to know what it's about, I'm telling you. The song doesn't address whether these uh, kids are going off voluntarily or because of conscription, but in my mind, it was always the latter. It was always conscription. The lyrics on the chorus, uh, you'll find me wandering alone on some far-off horizon, wearing expressions like you've never seen on this face. It describes in the best way that I could, um, because I've never experienced it, but shell shock, and whether it's while still on the battlefield or back at home after the fighting stops, it's just a way of trying to describe shell shock. And the line, the cars on the highway are backed up and bumper to bumper. It's an image that I always have of war. It's... Um, the roads either get jammed up because people are escaping the war or they're backing up because the nation's out celebrating having won the war and everybody's on the streets. Uh, so that's where that line comes from. And the line, we're going down, we're going down in uniform. It's quite simple in my way of saying that usually uh, with war there are no winners. We all go down, don't we? We shot a beautiful video for the song in New York with a, a wonderful British filmmaker called Lindy Heyman. And whilst filming the video, our drummer Craig, he had to fly back to Manchester unexpectedly because of a family illness. So our audio at the time, Paul Fallon, stepped in to pretend to be Craig in the video. And that's why he's got a woolly hat on and he's got his head down throughout the shoot. It's Paul Fallon, our roadie. 
Lindy Ehrman completely brought the, the family alive. She perfectly captured the sentiment of the track. That's what I loved about it. She got permission for us to film as well at the East Coast War Memorial at Battery Park in New York, which helped to give the whole thing an almost documentary feel. And thanks to Lindy and, and thanks to Pascal Gabriel, who produced the track, I think the song and the film are one of the Inspiral Carpet's finest moments. It's uniform by the Inspirals. I don't have a manager these days. I look after all my own business dealings. So I've always got a big diary with me wherever I go. And I still prefer the big old school A4 diaries these days to organise the business and my life in general. It's like my Bible, you know what I mean? It's a big thing and I always have it in my bag with me. And I've got these A4 diaries dating back about 20 years since I first made the, the transition uh, from the more compact 1980s standard issue Filofax. <laughs> That's what I used to use. I've still got my old Filofax as well. I'll save everything, mate. So for me now, it's the Collins A44 day to page appointments diary. That's all, all I use every year. Trouble is, I've got this sister-in-law, Rosie, to who my diary is some sort of magnet. And she listens to my podcast, so sooner or later she's going to be listening to this. So when she comes round to her house, Rosie, she'll secretly find my diary She'll open it up at a random, you know, forthcoming date and she'll scroll slogans or insults in it in big, massive letters, right? Big enough so that anybody that's present when I open my diary can plainly see what's written in my diary, right? For example, here's, here's an example she did recently. Right? So last week, I'm having a really productive meeting with this, this woman I know. She was an agent. She gets me quite a lot of work and she asked if I'm available to do a DJ gig on a particular date later this year. So I'm sat there in her office, her assistant is sat with her, and I open my diary, first page that pops open, Monday 1st of August, massive letters, I heart cock, right? Seriously, I heart cock. So I quickly moved it to another page, shagging, big letters, shagging. December the 6th, Rose's birthday in big letters, 27, really big letters, balloons and everything. No room for any of the actual lists that I write in my diary every day. There's no room on that date, so I can't do who to phone, I can't do who to email, where to be and when to be there. To do daytime, I can't do, or, or to do evening. On my list, I can't get them in there, so consider me unavailable this year on Tuesday, 6th of December. And I can't possibly tell you what I'll allegedly be doing on Thursday the 13th of October 2016, according to Rosie. I can't tell you that one, even on this X-rated podcast. Despite all this... I do still prefer my oversized analog diary over the digital equivalent. I just need to remember to start hiding my diary when uh, Rosie Wilkinson visits. I want to meet your sister-in-law, your sister-in-law. I want to meet your sister-in-law, your sister-in-law. She's so sweet and funny, your sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law 
Okay, it's time for me to get off. Thank you again for downloading the podcast and for those of you that have been leaving comments on iTunes. Uh, thanks to Distorted Productions as well for helping me to uh, get this thing out to you. And by the time you get to hear this podcast, there will be a Spotify playlist that I've put together specifically for this episode. So you get to hear all the songs in their entirety and more as well. If you are an unsigned band or artist, the best way to contact me is on Twitter. You'll find me at The Real Boon. Uh, the other podcast, uh, once again, set to go. It's all about unsigned upcoming music. It's available on iTunes as a free download at The Real Boon or at CB set to go. If you want to get in touch, send me a link and uh, let me have a listen to your music. I like to end every episode with a piece of music from an unsigned or upcoming band uh, sometimes and very often actually Manchester music because I get given that quite a lot today though something a bit different from Detroit and recommended by my mate Sparky who lives out there he's a British lad who's been uh, residing out there in the US of A for several years and he put me onto his band they're called Siamese the members are Joanna Champagne Steve Thoyle I think that's how you pronounce it Steve Thoyle Angie Kaiser and Joe Sousa and the biog says with a mutual fondness of darks synths and danceable beats Siamese started as a collaboration between Joanne uh, and Steve both veterans of the Detroit music scene this new project provided a platform for both members to explore new musical horizons uh, they've now expanded it into being a live band a bigger band uh, with the extra members and it's sounding brilliant you can find them on Facebook uh, on there they are Siamese Music and on Bandcamp Siamese Detroit the track I'm going to leave you with today is an amazing track and the track's called White Jacket enjoy this thanks for listening lots of love to you Storytime with Boone subscribe now on iTunes <laughs>